The title of my lesson this morning is The Mystery of Conversion. So, uh, to get us thinking along those lines, I want you to think back to your own conversion, or perhaps to the conversion of a friend, or of a spouse, or of a child, or maybe it's just your, your favorite conversion story. And while you're doing that, while you're trying to recall that in your mind, I want to share with you this morning one of my favorite conversion stories. And I've told it before on a Sunday morning, but it's been, it's been several years ago. I brought a picture to share with you, if you put that on the screen, um, about this story. And uh, this, this picture is also in my sermon notes. But it's the conversion of an Australian man who we call Champ. And he's there in the center of the picture with his title belt around his shoulder and sunglasses on. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I used to lead a group of college students on evangelistic mission trips to the Fiji Islands. Yes, they need the gospel in Fiji as well. Uh, But for six summers, we took students from the University of Georgia and the University of Alabama to the South Pacific for two weeks. And we worked with a church in the capital city of Suva. And we would rent a place near downtown called the Bergengren House. That was our home base for the two weeks. And then we would just go out into the streets and we'd hand out flyers and we'd ask people to study the Bible with us and then after we passed out all of our flyers, we would go back to the Bergengren house and we would wait and we would pray. And people came. Every evening, uh, we'd have a time of prayer and worship at the house. And one night while we were worshiping, this man that we called Champ showed up. He was in one of the top weight divisions, I think if, I, if my memory serves me, it's been a while, but I think he was the light heavyweight boxing champion in Australia. And I don't know how all their boxing organizations work in Australia, but he was the light heavyweight champion of one of the boxing organizations in Australia. And he was in Suva promoting an upcoming fight with one of the Fijian boxing champions. Right next to the Bergengren house where we were having our Bible studies and our evening worships was a big hotel. And he was staying there. And that evening, he had gone out on his back deck of his hotel room to enjoy the night air when he heard singing. And he liked it. And he was curious. And so he wanted to know where it was coming from. And so he decided to take a little stroll, and he followed the voices, and he ended up just kind of leaned up at the back of the Bergengren house against the doorway listening. Of course, we invited him in, and he spent the rest of the evening with us. Now, his big event where he was promoting the fight was the following day, and so we asked him if after that was over, if he could come study the Bible with us, and he said yes. And he did. And so he came back that next afternoon to study the Bible. And he studied all afternoon. And later that day, he made the decision to be baptized. He wanted to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And this picture was taken just right after that baptism. But we, we all headed down to our baptistry for those two weeks, which was the Pacific Ocean. And this is my favorite part of the story. You can see in the picture that there's about 30 of us. And so he asked if we could all come out into the ocean with him and surround him so that it felt kind of like he was in a boxing ring. And so we did. We all followed him out into the Pacific Ocean, and we all held hands and created sort of this boxing ring-like object around him. Now, my friend Todd baptized him, and while they were in the middle of our boxing ring talking about what was getting ready to happen, Champ asked Todd a question. He said, do you think when you baptize me that you could hold me under the water for 10 seconds before you bring me up? Now, Todd was a pretty big guy, so he said, I think I can do that, but why? Champ said, because I want the Lord to knock out the old man so I can be raised a new man. So, God, so Todd got him under the water, and while after, right after he got him under the water, I kind of pulled away from the ring, and I started doing this. One, two, three, four, five. That's a long time to be without oxygen, right? Six, but made it all the way to ten. And then Todd brought the champ up, and there was a great celebration in the Pacific Ocean. He worshiped with us that evening, and then he left the next morning to fly back to Australia. That's a great conversion story, isn't it? You know, the crazy thing is, I don't even remember his name. I may not have even known his name. We just all called him the champ. If you haven't already, uh, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Our text this morning is about the very first conversion on the continent of Europe. The first one. I read through a sermon this week by Charles Spurgeon. He was the famous 19th century British preacher. He titled his sermon, Our First European Convert. It's the very first one. It's, a, it's really a pretty significant moment in world history. And here's an interesting little twist to the story that maybe you've never picked up on. Our convert Lydia is from Thyatira, which is actually located back in the province of Asia. If you recall from last week, plan A for Paul and his companions was to go to Asia. But in verse 7, the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word there. Remember, it was plan C that brought them across the Aegean Sea to another continent where the first person who Paul and his companions share the gospel with is a woman from the province of Asia. I love that. You know, it just kind of makes me smile because it has God's fingerprints on it. 
I've never been one to hear a story like that one and think, well, that's just a coincidence. That's the Lord. But Thyatira was a city in the province of Asia, and it was known for its production of dyes. Specifically, people in that area became famous for their skill in manufacturing a purple dye. And really interesting, that area was still known for the manufacturing of of those dyes until the end of the 19th century. I graduated high school uh, in Dalton, Georgia, which is known as the carpet capital of the Perhaps you've been by there on your way to Atlanta on I-75. There's carpet plants all along the interstate. Well, Thyatira was the dye capital of the world. And that's where Lydia was from. Luke tells us she's currently living and working in the city of Philippi, where she's a dealer in, in cloth that's been made with this purple dye. So Paul and his companions, who we know at this point, uh, include Silas, Timothy, and Luke, right? If you notice, there's been a shift in the pronouns from he and they to we and us. That signifies that Luke has joined them for this portion of the journey. So, so there's a team of at least four of them who arrive to Philippi, and they stay there several days, at least for the rest of chapter 16. Now, one of the practices of evangelism that we've learned from Paul in these missionary journeys is that he always starts with who he knows. When sharing the gospel, begin with who you know. That's a practice that we learned from Paul in Acts. Every time he enters a new community, where did he start? The synagogue. If he had just walked into Philippi and set up on a busy street corner and started preaching, city authorities would have quickly arrested him and put him in jail. So it's been his practice all over the Mediterranean world to begin with who he knows. But here's the catch in Philippi. There's no synagogue. (coughs) So now what? Let me get a drink while you think about that. Now what is he going to do? Join me in prayer just for a minute. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your gospel, and I just pray for my voice. Pray that you'll give my voice strength. Pray that you'll give us ears to hear. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to grab a lozenge. 
as long as y'all don't mind me talking with a lozenge in my mouth. It's really just a cough drop, but I like saying lozenge. Okay, let's make it through our text here this morning. Verse 13 is where we're going to be. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate, to the river. where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, according to Ben Witherington, he's a professor at Asbury, who's an archaeologist and Bible historian, two things are happening here. One... Foreign cults, especially small ones that were not well established, were not allowed within the city walls. So that's the first thing. And then second, even if they had been allowed within the city walls, you have to have at least 10 men to start a synagogue. And so the thinking is... They're outside the walls, and only women are gathered there because there's just not much of a Jewish population in Philippi. And so Paul goes outside the city walls, sits down with this small gathering of women. There's no synagogue, and so they go outside the walls, sit down with this small gathering of women. And there he meets Lydia. Now, here's the, <coughs> here's the plan. This is the plan for the morning. We will see. But here's the plan. <coughs> the plan is, for our time, um, as we look at the conversion of Lydia, I want to share with you Two sets of three items. Two sets of three items. The first set are characteristics of the conversion of Lydia. The second set are concepts of conversion in general. Okay? So we're going to be looking at three characteristics of conversion and three concepts of conversion. And here's the thing. We're not trying to completely understand what's happening here. But what we're trying to do is to come away with some characteristics and some concepts of what's happening here at Lydia's conversion. That's the plan. I want us to have some characteristics and some concepts about conversion to take away with us this morning. And so... We're going to work through both of these three sets this morning. So, first thing. I want you to notice 
three characteristics of her conversion. <coughs> they all start with H. First, as we look at this this morning, I want you to see her humility. I want you to see Lydia's humility. Verse 14 reads, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. Now, here's what I've come to believe. I've come to believe this through reading and through living life, through experience. To really listen well to another person. I'm talking about active and engaged listening. To really listen well to what someone else thinks and to what someone else believes is an act of humility. Are you following me? It takes humility to listen to another person. To really listen and not just to be there the whole time thinking about what we're going to say next. To listen. To ask questions, to consider another person's way of thinking takes great humility. The tense of this verb shows that she listened closely, and that she listened attentively. It was an ongoing action. In other words, what this verb here tells us is that she hung on to every word. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I'm, I'm encouraged by the way you listen when I preach because I see it when I look out. I see you taking notes. I see you hanging on every word. That's called humility. To listen well takes humility. One of my coaching heroes was Don Meyer. He was the head men's basketball coach at Lipscomb. One of his life principles was always take notes. Always take notes. In 2009, he retired as the winningest coach in college basketball history. Yet everywhere he went, he had a notepad. Because he believed he could learn something from every interaction with another human being. That's humility. And here is why that's important. There's a principle established in Scripture on several occasions. Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6, 1 Peter 5.5. 5, as to how God chooses to interact with humans. And it's so true. Not only does Scripture proclaim it to be true, but I have seen it to be true in life. Here it is. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Literally, he generously pours out his grace to the humble, but he stands in opposition against the proud. One of the most often stated commands in all of Scripture is humble yourself. 
And so this is the first characteristic of Lydia's conversion that I want to see. I want you to see this morning. It's her humility, her willingness to listen. Second, I want you to see her hunger, her hunger. Again, verse 14, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. I don't want you to miss this. Who was a worshiper of God? Let me repeat that. Lydia was a worshiper of God. I think that's very important to know about her. You see, she has an interest in God and in things of God. Louis Giglio is a Christian author and pastor. He's the founder of the Passion Movement. He's written a lot about worship. I like what he says about it. He writes, worship is simply about value. Worship is our response to whatever we value the most in our lives. Man, that's really good. That's a great definition of worship. And Luke tells us Lydia was a worshiper of God. She placed value on God in her life. She placed value on the things of God. The things of God were important to her. Other translations say she was a God-fearer. Both translations are good ones. It, It wasn't a technical term, but it doesn't just refer to a really good person. You know, the, the term was used to refer to a Gentile who worships the God of the Jews. The same term is used to describe Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And here we see her on a Sabbath day outside the city walls, meeting with this small group of women, worshiping the Jewish God. You see, there was a hunger There was a hunger for God. She had an interest in God. She had an interest in the things of God. And so these are two characteristics that I want you to see here that were prior to her conversion. These are pre-conversion characteristics of Lydia. There was humility and there was a hunger. Now, there is a third characteristic but we'll see it post-conversion. Before we get to it, let's take a look at what I'm calling the concepts of conversion. And there's three of those. And you can see all of them very clearly here in Lydia's conversion. And all three are critically important. And what 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 I've termed the mystery of conversion is how all three of these concepts work together in someone's life, and they're coming to know Jesus as the Christ. When you look at conversion and the mystery of conversion, all three of these concepts work together as one in someone's life, and they're coming to know Jesus as the Christ. And so let's look at these three. They're very important. First concept is this. Paul gladly shares because conversion is intentional. Paul gladly shares because conversion is intentional. It doesn't just magically happen. 
Someone has to be intentional in sharing the good news. In verse 13, Luke tells us that they sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, this word translated as speak, it's a, it's a really interesting word. It's not a word used for teaching or for preaching. It's a much more casual word than that. It actually just means to have a personal conversation. See, Paul's not preaching a sermon to these women. Instead, he's just sharing life with them. He's sharing the gospel with them. He's sharing with them about who Jesus is and about how Jesus has changed all their lives. You know, later in his letter to the Romans, Paul will refer to a verse from Isaiah when he quotes, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, in the mystery of conversion, someone has to be intentional in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Someone has to fulfill this role. In your life, you can remember the person who shared with you about Jesus. Perhaps it was a parent. Perhaps, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe a sibling, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, a minister. Someone was intentional and gladly shared the good news of Jesus with you. Can you think of who that person was in your life? Maybe it was more than one. Let me ask you another question. Can you be that person in someone else's life? Not, not preach or teach, but just to share. To share about who Jesus is, about how Jesus has changed your life. To be someone who's intentional who gladly shares the good news about Jesus being the Christ. That's the first concept of conversion. Paul gladly shares because conversion is intentional. Second concept is God graciously opens because conversion is spiritual. God graciously opens because conversion is spiritual. In verse 14, we read that it was the Lord who opened her heart. It was the Lord who opened her heart. Here's what I know for a fact. I can't change your heart. I can't change your heart. I can stand up here and preach for the next 10 years, but I can't change your heart. I can gladly share the good news with you. I can be intentional in every way with you. I can love you. I can serve you. I can encourage you, but I can't change your heart. 
And you might say, well, of course you can't change my heart. Only I can change my heart. Well, here's what I also know for a fact. You can't change your heart. You can't change your heart. Doesn't matter how hard you try, how much effort you make, you can't change your heart. I can't change your heart, and you can't change your heart, because conversion is spiritual. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Lord said through the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give to you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you in order to move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to follow my laws. Listen, I can't change your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. It's only the Lord. The Lord opens our heart because conversion is spiritual. And then here's the third concept. First concept is Paul gladly shares because it's intentional. The second is the Lord graciously opens because it's spiritual. Here's the third concept. Lydia genuinely responds because conversion's personal. Verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart so that she could respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Look, Lydia's not a robot. She's a person created in the image of God. And so we must not conclude just because God opened her heart that she has no part to play in her own conversion. We must not conclude just because God opened her heart that somehow she has no responsibility for her own conversion or that the part she has in her own conversion is entirely passive. Lydia could genuinely respond to the message of Paul or genuinely not respond to the message of Paul. You see, this is a genuine response. Lydia and her entire household are baptized. It's a response of personal faith. Baptism is the way we publicly express what's happening personally. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. Through baptism, we place our faith in the one who saves us, and we pledge our allegiance to Jesus as the Christ. And what we see here is a genuine response. And so these are the three concepts of conversion. Paul gladly shares because conversion is intentional. God graciously opens because conversion is spiritual. And Lydia genuinely responds because conversion is personal. All three of these concepts come together in our conversion. It's not just one of them. It's all three of them. 
And these three concepts coming together as one in a beautiful way is what I call the mystery of conversion. The mystery of conversion. And this brings us to the third characteristic of Lydia's conversion. So we're coming back to the other set. The first two characteristics were pre-conversion. Remember, there was humility and there was a hunger that Lydia had. Well, this third characteristic is post-conversion and it's hospitality. This third characteristic is hospitality. In verse 15, she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And then Luke concludes with this sentence, and she persuaded us. She was a good businesswoman after all. She persuaded them to come stay at her house. You see, when the mystery of conversion happens in a person's life, fruit is produced. Fruit is produced. And in the conversion of Lydia, the fruit of hospitality is immediately produced in her life. I love how John Stott summarizes this in his commentary on Acts. He wrote, for once her heart was opened, her home was opened too. That's a great line. And most scholars believe that Lydia's home does not just provide a place for Paul and his companions while they're in town, but it will become the meeting place of the first house church in all of Europe. Lydia's house. What about you? What kind of fruit is being produced in your life because of the mystery of conversion? Lydia, the seller of purple. What a conversion story, right? What a conversion story. I hope these concepts of conversion and these characteristics of conversion are something that we've been able to take away from this text today. And here's how I want to conclude uh, my thoughts with you this morning. I'm thankful that my voice has, has made it, and uh, I thankful, I'm thankful that you have uh, put up with my lozenge this morning as I've talked about conversion because I think conversion is something really important to talk about. And if you'll just allow me just for a minute, I want to take my preacher hat off. I appreciate that, Karen, but I still have one. I want to take my preacher hat off, and um, I just want to speak to you, as Paul did to women. I just want to share, kind of have a personal conversation with you, if we can. Um, I know... I know four things to be true. 
These four truths have changed my life. And this morning, I would give my life for any one of these four truths. First, Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. That truth has changed my life forever. Second, Jesus rose from the grave to rescue us from death. That is true. That is real. Eyewitnesses saw him after he rose from the grave. We have eyewitness testimony of the resurrected Jesus. And he rose from the grave to rescue us from death. Third, Jesus reigns. He reigns as our king today from the right hand of his father. And then fourth, Jesus calls you. Do you hear, the, you hear it ringing? <laughs> That's Jesus. <laughs> and he's calling you. He calls you. And he wants you to pick up. He wants you to come to him. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and take my yoke upon you. Come and be my disciple. He's calling you today. He bids you to come and put your faith in him in baptism. To knock out that old man. To be raised to walk a new life with him. This morning, won't you come as we stand together and sing?